From the corners of my mind, this is Here Be Monsters. Twenty twenty one. It's May twenty sixth. I'm out on a walk around the neighborhood just because um, I've been cooped up all day. It's beautiful out. And sometimes I think better when I'm on my feet. You know, a couple months ago, I uh, put out a request for voicemails on social media. I asked people this question. I said, is there anything that you would want me to ask a hyperdimensional, all-knowing dream being? <laughs> and um, I, I do hope that the, the kind people who responded and called in knew that I was being a bit hyperbolic. I would hope so. You know, I'm not sure if I actually believe in hyperdimensional dream beings. But the idea was that I, I was kind of wondering if I could kind of, you know, ask questions that other people want to know to my subconscious. You know what I mean? And back when I was a teenager, I got, you know, up to my neck in this uh, AM radio show called Coast to Coast. And it's a show that's largely about, like, the supernatural, largely about ghosts and aliens and, and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I was into that, too. But every now and then they would have just a, a very different kind of left field show where the guest would come on and talk about something that was just truly interesting. And I, I remember this episode it must have been from, like, yeah, like 2006 or seven this episode where this guy came on and talked about lucid dreaming. And I had never heard of lucid dreaming before. That was an entirely new concept to me. And you know, there's this misconception, I think, about dreaming sometimes that a lucid dream is a dream that you're in control of. But that's not actually the case. You're actually in control of a lot of the dreams you have. A lucid dream is actually a dream where you become self-aware, right? Like, you can have lucid dreams where you're in control of the dream. And you can have non-lucid dreams where you're not in control of the dream. You know, you can have anything in that, like, two-by-two two matrix, you know, of agency and lucidity. So, yeah, I, I just never thought about dreaming in that capacity before, this idea of becoming self-aware. And he was saying, you know, it was fun, right? Because you could go and you could do all the things that you weren't supposed to do. You could do all the fun things, right? But there's a second level of lucid dreaming where you could, like, conjure. And he would say he would do this, right? He would conjure beings around him, these kind of spiritual beings that he could ask questions to, questions that involved parts of himself that he was otherwise uh, unable to access, right? You know, that kind of voice that you have deep inside yourself that tells you things that are true, not necessarily the things that are convenient, which is generally how we think in the, in the living world, or maybe I should speak for myself, that's generally how I think in the waking world. And, you know, I found that all pretty interesting. I remember in college, I decided to actually try and give it a go. I got, um, I think I got one credit for an independent study where I trained myself to do lucid dreaming. And honestly, the process for doing it is pretty simple. It's this like two-step process that works for most people. And the first thing is that you have to train yourself for dream recall. Right? Because, you know, you ask a lot of people what they dreamt about. And they're like, oh, I don't have dreams. Or it's like, oh, I can't remember my dreams. Right? And a lot of people think that they don't actually have vivid dreams. 
but most people do. Most people are just like your brain is kind of trained to wake up when you wake up and, you know, start checking your phone or start thinking about your day. And a lot of people develop this reflex to kind of flush their dreams out of their head. And so the first thing you have to do is you have to develop really strong dream recall. And the way you do that, it's really simple, actually, is you just keep a dream journal. Or you do what I've been doing, which is just pick up the recorder first thing in the morning. And even if you have no dreams that you can remember, you just pick up the recorder and you say, I can't remember any of my dreams today. And all that does is like slowly train your brain to say, okay, these things are important. There might be something here. Um, and that's all the harder it is. The second step is trickier because it involves a little bit of a time commitment. And what you have to do is you have to um, do this thing that I'm not sure if this is a technical term or not, but I've been calling it wakefulness checks or reality checks. And the idea is, is that you just, throughout the day, you just check to see if you're awake or not. The easiest way to do this is just to check the time. You check the time, you know what time it is, and then you think about something that you have to do today or that you've already done today. And then you check the time again. So you have this little gap of time. And generally speaking, if, if you check the time and it's within a minute or two of each other, then you can be pretty sure that you're awake. And you say, I'm pretty sure I'm awake right now. You can also do this with light switches. You can flip light switches on and off. And if they do what you expect them to, you say, I'm pretty sure I'm awake right now. Or, and this one's my favorite, is you just check to see if you can fly. So you jump up in the air or... Um, or you just try to lift off the ground. And if you can't do that, then you say, I'm pretty sure I'm awake right now. And all these things are wakefulness checks, right? And the idea is that you get this in your head as like kind of a ritual, right? And then, you know, just like everything else, you start in your sleep doing the things that you do when you're awake. And then eventually you're just going to be in a dream and you're going to look at your watch. Or you're going to try and jump up in the air and something's going to happen that you didn't expect. And usually at that point... You might say, hey, I don't think I'm awake right now. So I tried doing this for a quarter in college and, you know, about a couple weeks into it, I started having lucid dreams. It's pretty amazing. And usually I would get so excited by this that I would just immediately wake up. But um, that's a different issue. But the idea is, is that, you know, over time, you can develop this instinct to um, start checking and seeing if you're awake or not. And so I started this process again a couple months ago, you know, doing the dream journaling. And um, then I've also been incorporating the wakefulness checks. I was like, I, could, I can get this again in a month or two, right? Failed to remember the fact that I'm old now and that my brain is a little bit less malleable than it was when I was in my late teens. You know what I mean? And, you know, something else I've started to notice as I've started taking stock of my dreams more is also just this kind of strange thing where I have a significant lag in what's happening in the real world versus what's happening in the dreams. And so these days, it's actually, I'm, I'm realizing it's about a year where, um, you know, I moved back to the West Coast about a year ago, but most of my dreams are actually still taking place on the East Coast. And in my dream world, uh, COVID's just started to be a thing. I'm just starting to see people wearing masks, which is really weird. I'm not sure why there's such a big lag there. I actually don't think that used to be true. But, you know, kind of the, the, the bad part about this, right, is that, you know, I only started doing this training a couple months ago. And I am just kind of on the verge now of, of starting to have, like, lucid elements to my dreams. And I was like, well, crap, you know, all these people sent in these really interesting and difficult and 
just wonderful prompts that I, I was hoping I could ask to, you know, some floating fourth dimensional brain, but I didn't quite get there yet. And so what do I do? Do I just kind of blow these things off for six months or a year until my brain is caught up with what I'm doing in reality? Or do I find a way of making it work? And so what I noticed, though, is I noticed that there were actually some really significant themes running through the dreams that, that often paralleled pretty closely what people were asking about. And so this episode is a starting point. You know what I mean? This is certainly not the end point, for me at least. Um, I'm going to keep practicing this dreaming technique and, and wakefulness technique. And I think that, you know, in six months' time or a year's time, I might be able to actually conjure things in my sleep. You know, it's a, it's a practice. You know what I mean? And, and I hope that even if I haven't hit my initial goal here, uh, that at least my steps towards it are, are entertaining enough to merit listening. So, stay tuned. More after the break. Here Be Monsters, the podcast about the definitive, objective answer. The podcast about the unknown. The sponsor for this episode is Drew Ackerman's podcast, Sleep With Me. You know, I am someone who has trouble sleeping sometimes. And so a lot of nights, it gets to be about 11.30 p.m., and I realize that my brain is still running way too fast to fall asleep. So one of the tools that I use to wind down is Sleep With Me. In each episode, Drew explains something, and maybe that's a small story from his life with like a lot of tangents, or sometimes it's like a deep recap of a television show that I've never seen. And so this one is the Radio Shack Christmas Sale and Gift Catalog. Looks like it's 48 pages. It's from 1983. But it's not so much the content that's important. It's the way in which Drew presents it. And it's always done in this very caring way. This way that lets me feel safe as I start to drift off. And for what it's worth, I've listened to the podcast for years, and I've still never finished an episode. Now for this next cloud, now this is a cloud, maybe it'll come up more than once, a very popular cloud for cloud viewing, and that's a cumulus cloud. And so if you would like help drifting off to sleep, you can subscribe to Sleep With Me on any podcast app. And thank you, Sleep With Me, for sponsoring Here Be Monsters. Sinking in, you know, the sleepy smells of pumpkin pie spice in the air. As you gently drift into sleep, good night. Hello. Um, I saw your advertisement that an interdimensional all-seeing being was going to answer my question. And I have chronic pain, and it's kind of uncomfortable to exist in the format that I exist in um, as a bipedal human. And... I always wonder if it would be better to have an exoskeleton or to have no skeleton at all. And I would just like to know sort of the definitive objective answer to which is the best format of corporeal being. Is it uh, A, skeleton inside, meat on the outside, which is what we are experiencing right now. Um, B, skeleton on the outside, meat on the inside. Or C, all meat, no skeleton. Um, I hope you 
have answers for me. Not that I can switch, but I'd at least like to know. Thanks. Twenty twenty one, May twenty fourth. Is in this giant, like university type building, like an archive for plants. And the walls were a mix between like floor to ceiling plants and filing cabinets and like. It felt like the back room of a museum. But the ceilings were maybe... Maybe 40 feet high. And there were these rows of files and stuff that were maybe... They went almost to the ceiling, but not quite. And um, I was looking for a place to, like, rest. And so I was like climbing up and down these walls of plants looking for a spot where I could sit and rest and then from between two of the plants this like translucent jelly-like animal started poking its um, antenna out and it was it was very wiggly. It looked kind of like some kind of sea slug. But big and really gelatinous. Maybe the size of like a porcupine. And it, I could see inside of it, I could see all its organs. And it was wiggling its way out. It was something I had never seen before. And um, I was scared of it. And I jumped away from the wall. Uh, not real not remembering in the moment that I was maybe 20 feet off the ground I jumped away from it and then I just hung there in space and so I was hanging there in space and this gelatinous sea creature type thing it um it came and it, it kind of latched onto my legs but I was too scared to say anything to it. I didn't want to show it that I was scared, so I just kind of stayed there. And then I realized that I could actually fly. And it was like good flying too. It was like I could control every element of it so I could I could roll in like spirals and circles and, and fly in these like corkscrew shapes backwards and the flying felt really nice. Yeah. Hi, this is Katie. My question is, once our collective or personal higher self reasoning for living a certain lifetime, once that's achieved in said lifetime, does the universe conspire to like kill us off then and like just go into the next lifetime or, 
go on some astral plane and hang out until our next life? Or like, are we allotted extra time to just enjoy being alive without having to fulfill a higher purpose? Two thousand twenty, December ninth. Had a really long dream about being on a spaceship, helping explore the solar system. You had to keep doing stuff. There's just always tasks, space tasks, and.、Um, People kept transforming into mice. Hello.、Um, I'm wondering how important is a person's final resting place, and what what does that really mean? Like, if someone were to be Cremated, and then kept in an urn in an attic.、Um, or if they're cremated and spread、uh, across the peaks of a mountain, does it? What does it matter in the grand scheme of things? And even then, are they really done on that mountain, or do they get spread further and further away? And what about the people who are trapped in boxes in the ground? Their final resting place, just stagnant. Thanks, Seth. Bye. Twenty twenty one, January seventeenth. I was part of the space program. I went into space. I went to the moon, and. There's a whole civilization there. I went to a coffee shop. There were dogs everywhere, and then I realized that there were a lot of people there to kill me. We went to the Vatican City on the moon. Then right over the hill from that. This giant cemetery, but there was a sign on that side of it that said, "You have to believe in God to enter this." There was a giant room. It was all columns that were falling down, and I was somehow in there with this dragon. Guarding people's graves, the sad dragon, bright red. I know what it wanted. I'm wearing like a bulletproof vest that I made for myself, and it's too thick. Keep trying to figure out how to breathe, and thinking about how I can get the vest off quietly. 
Uh, hi, my name is uh, Elliot. Um, I've had this question for like a really long time. Um, and I've asked a lot of people about it, and they've given me different advice and different answers. Like every time, I prop it up to them. So I figured I figured I'd ask uh, on here: Is pop punk punk? Like, is it is it is it too mainstream for punk, or is it too punk for the mainstream? It seems like the most tormented Frankenstein monster of a genre. Um, and nobody, nobody I know can seem to agree on if it's legitimate or not. So I'd, I'd love to hear uh, your opinions. Thanks. 2021, it's April 10th. This is regarding the um, question about pop punk. I had a dream that a kid dared me to touch poop. And I did it. But I swore I would never do it again. Hey, Jeff. Uh, for obvious reasons, I'm not going to leave my name, but if you want a question that I believe you should ask a existential supernatural being in a lucid dream, my question is this. I want to know if it's possible to be with someone that you love, even though you're obligated to be with someone else who's a nice person but not the person you love. To be very honest, I wish I didn't have to ask the question, but it's the burning question that's been on my mind now for 16 years. So advice, insight, always welcome. Thanks. Love your show. Twenty twenty one. It's the morning of March twenty eighth. I was um I was walking down the street in Seattle and I saw the twin sister of someone I was very romantically interested in in high school. And I stopped. And I said her name and she pretended like she recognized me. I said, how are you? And she was like, fine. And then... I started asking her about her life, and she was like, obviously, like, feeling bad because she didn't recognize me. So I was trying to give her hints. I was like, how's your sister? And she was like, fine. And then someone else from high school showed up and they were having trouble recognizing me too. I was like trying to give them hints. I could see on their face that they weren't 100% sure that I wasn't just some stranger who had misidentified them or was like trying to con them or something. 
And that wasn't until a third person showed up and they were like, Jeff, it's you. And then everyone was like, oh, yes, Jeff, it's you. And high school, you know, I got invited to some things, but definitely not everything. I was kind of on the B tier of invites for this, this friend group. And it was clear that they were all doing something. And they're like, oh, we're just hanging out, drawing some pictures. And they felt obligated to ask me to join. And so I went into this house. Shaped like a triangle. And everyone was sitting around a big table with a lot of paper. They were drawing kind of normal pictures. And there was a kid there who was seven years old. And I think the kid was the person I was supposed to talk to, but I didn't. I didn't talk to him very much, and I think that was who I needed to talk to. I asked the person next to me whose kid it was, and no one would answer me. And so I started drawing these like really abstract pictures of people. I'd use like 10 sheets of paper for one drawing and just kind of not stopping at the edges. I remember I was drawing one picture and it was of a, a nude man, right? Yeah, it was very, it was very abstract and non-sexual, but it, you know, it, it did have that element. And the other people who were there were still a little bit wary of me because it wasn't following the right rules. We took a break for lunch and everyone went to the kitchen and started making food. The kitchen had like a stone floor that extended into a cavern, so kind of on the edge of a cliff. And everyone made food and when we came back all of my drawings were gone, except one. There's just like a random patch of flesh and it looked like someone else had colored it in there's just a giant plate of food in front of me including like a just huge slab of pork and I was um, sitting next to the kid again who was just kind of diving into the food and I was hesitating. There's some really good-looking potatoes on top that I ate. I was trying to figure out if I should eat the meat to be polite. Then lunch was over, and... one of the people who was there escorted me out in a way that was meant to be friendly, but also direct. And it was clear that, like, the hospitality had run out. So I left, and they, uh, they locked the door behind me.
So yeah, there, there's just one more element I really want to address here. And there was a number of people who called in who kind of had questions on the same line. It was about like these things that happen in recurring dreams, right? Or this element of like deja vu in dreams where you experience something in the world and you realize that you had a dream about something very similar to that uh, at some point in the past. I, I think this is something that's fairly common. And another person called in to ask about the people they meet in their dreams, these people that don't exist in the real world, but do exist in their dreams. And I think these two kinds of questions are, are really the different sides of the same coin. So yeah, I, I don't really know why or how our brains invent these places or these people that don't exist in the real world. But I think one thing that's helpful about them, though, is I think they can be used, especially when they're recurring, they can be used as other triggers to help us understand that we might be asleep and therefore open to asking some more deep questions about who we are and why we do the things we do. So, you know, whether that's a location that keeps showing up again and again or a character that, that comes from a dream that doesn't exist in the real world, I think that's really helpful. And, you know, I, I now have um, a couple characters that I, I might be able to find again in my dreams, you know, this this sad dragon who's in charge of taking care of graves, or a child who has parents but no one will tell me who they are, or, you know, an amorphous blob that um, helps me fly. Like, these are all things that I know now are, are parts of my dreams, and I, I think can be used to further this experiment. So... I was hoping to have answers, but I don't. Just some thoughts, though. Well, um, thank you for joining me on this first step that I'm taking here towards lucid dreaming. I'm going to keep working on these questions, and maybe we can reconvene here in a year's time or so with some actual answers. Now, if you're someone who's able to lucid dream, please do feel free to, you know, meditate on these questions yourself and ask your own interdimensional beings if they have any answers. And, you know, if you find anything out, just send it in via email, social media, or voicemail. All of Hereby Monster's contact info is available on the website which is hbmpodcast.com. You can just go there and click the contact button and all the show's contact info will be there. You know, also over on the website, I've posted up some links to articles about lucid dreaming, how to do it, the benefits and potential risks of doing it. I think it's all really interesting stuff. So again, you can read that at hbmpodcast.com. My name is Jeff Entman, and I produced this episode of Here Be Monsters. Music on this episode came from The Black Spot, Cirocell, and Phantom Fauna. Here Be Monsters is a completely independent podcast produced without any institutional support. All the show's funding comes from individual sponsors and donors. You can become a donor by sending me a couple bucks a month over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash hbmpodcast. And by joining the Patreon, you'll get some small benefits, including monthly posts over on Patreon, where I share some extra content, like old art projects I've made or stories from childhood. Last month, I shared a bunch of slides from classes I've taught over the past six years or so. 
And this month, I'm going to be sharing some extra recordings from this episode, you know, some of the dreams that didn't quite make it onto the show. So if any of that sounds nice, or if you just want to support Here Be Monsters monetarily, head over to patreon.com slash hbmpodcast. That link is also in the show notes. And thank you. Your financial support is never expected, but always appreciated. So, as always, thanks for listening. More episodes soon.